Episode three. We're done. Let's do it, bro. Big bundler. Finish, yeah, that's it. Off we go. All right, sound. Check it in. Who went first last time? Me, so it's your turn, mate. Oh, fuck. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I think today I've had a a bit of a weird one. You know what I mean? A bit of a a feeling about something and I'm trying to figure it out. And rather than, for the first time ever, jump on the feeling, I've expressed it and then I've, rather than going keep going into it, like into an argument or something, I will, I just drew myself away from it and then attempted to process it. Mm-hmm. So what am I actually feeling and why? And that's really like a new way of doing things for me. And it is, it's an interesting metric because you actually start to pay attention to what the feeling is. Mm. And do you know, there's like such a broad range of emotions in any feeling. So you can have happiness, but happiness has got like a barometer or mm. anger has got a barometer. Are you feeling <laughs> offended? Are you feeling betrayed? You, you know, what, what, what is the feeling in there? And it's like, you know, I just sat with it for a bit and I just sort of made sense of the feeling. Mm. Um, but, and also we we only shot a podcast like a couple of days ago. So there's no real new <laughs> stuff. We seem to be doing this all the time. It's so much fun. But yeah, I feel, I feel really good. I, it's nice to be back at work and I've got a lot going on at work. Mm. But I also noticed like, it's almost like a paralysis, like um, a feeling of like, I don't know how to function as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how to be myself as well. I feel like I've, because I've been able to express myself in the world with my friends, mm-hmm. I've finally been around people that live mm. and think and do the same as me. <clears throat> when I go back into like the real world, I kind of feel like, oh, am I, am I being awkward? Am I being, am I, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've always yeah. had a bit of social anxiety, you know? Yeah, you know? I understand that. But you're at, you're at that point, aren't you? You're kind of finding out what parts of you are you and what mm. parts of you are things that happen to you. Mm. Is that big, who am I? And you're, you're on the cusp of that right now. So you're going to be, oh, how do I behave with these people and how do I behave with these people? But yeah. eventually it will be like a, from my own experience, like a merger of it all. Mm. And you'll weed out the bits that you don't need mm. and you'll like the bits that you want to keep, you know, keep them and they mm. can come everywhere. And by nature, you'll assess certain people and whether or not you can behave a certain way in front of them work generally if you've got boss and stuff like that you've got to behave a certain way all the time yeah but mm. well I'm really lucky with my job because um they're very like liberal they'll allow you to be yourself and they like my character and they like who I am mm. and they think it serves a good purpose in my role but the the only other complexities ever come from my feeling around me of course it's the same with anything it's yeah nothing's the same changed with, there uh, it's you that's changing yeah right? my 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 complexity every every complex situation that i've ever involved myself in my life has always been as a subject of me not feeling okay in that situation which then manifests slightly different behavior depending on where i'm at do mm. i have to try and be funny here do i have to try and be smart here mm. do i have to try and be sensible and what i've really come to terms with recently is if i am just myself mm. everything runs better mm. so i'm not pretending anything it's a lot less tiring too mm, yeah i'm still pretty tired today but yeah of course <laughs> but you're that's through working hard but so you're tired anyway 
add on top of that the masks you're wearing to fit in within each scenario you're getting into. Mm. That, so you're already tired. You've minus that off today. You haven't done the masking and wearing different hats for different people yeah. and you're exhausted. Add on all the energy that it takes to wear those masks all day as well. Oh, yeah. And add on a four o'clock in the morning start with my meditation and my cold water and my, <laughs> um, you know, my my practice and my gym. And I finally got on the cardio because cardio I find challenging. For me, I think with most people, cardio is boring and annoying and it, it you think the gym workout is enough, but when you're trying to pull right back... Yeah, the cardio is, is the difference. Mm. It's, the, it's, it's the extra 200, 250 calories that I'll burn on, on the stairs. Mm. And, you know, you, you, it's weird how you notice your brain negotiating with yourself. So you like, you'll get on 10 minutes, like I've just done a big workout. I reckon I'll get to 12 minutes. Or if I do 15, it's all right. Or, oh, I need a wheel, try and get off. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you negotiate with yourself. And when you notice your brain... Like when you learn to notice your brain, meditation is the art of noticing. That's all it is. It's yeah. like stepping out of your thought, isn't it? Yeah. Am I breathing? Am I paying attention to my breath or am I over there? And the quicker you notice you're over there, the quicker you get back to your breathing. It's as simple as that. Mm. People overcomplicate it. But when you learn to notice, you can actually start to notice the stupid shit your brain negotiates with you on. Well, I used to, when I was helping people recover from addiction, they used to say like what what's one of the, like what are the important things what do I need to do and like, a lot of the time we just act right we just do something yeah and we go oh fucking hell why did I do that yeah why did I do that and you you the actions already happened before you've realised it's a mistake right yeah. like for example you've got off the like using this situation you were talking about as an example you you get off the treadmill and you fucking you go in and then after you go oh, I could have done more mm. what but there was no thought process to it you just gave up and you don't know why. And I, uh, I always used to say to people that you've got to turn on the voice. You've got to turn it on. So w what's it saying to you? So what was the voice saying? Oh, you don't need to do this. Mm. Or you can't do this. Yeah. Or why are you doing this? Yeah. And it's like, okay, then you've got to talk back. Because this is the problem is that people don't, aren't hearing that. Uh, I would say it's emotion or that inner child as well is the one who's saying, give up, go and do this, go and take drugs, yeah. for example. You can't deal with the pain. We, we know our safety is over with that. Take it. Yeah. That makes us feel good. But normally it's not a thought. It's an action. It's the, right, I'm calling my dealer or I've got off the treadmill. You know, it's it, so it's like, right, okay, I want to hear what you're saying. Tell me what it is that you're, your excuse for getting off. And like you're saying there, right, I'm now arguing with mm. myself or I'm, having a negotiation with myself about what I can and cannot do. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things that anybody can do is turn, turn the, turn the volume up, mm. turn the volume up for the, for the, for the, yeah, for the speaking voice. That's what it's saying to you about what you can and cannot do mm. and then argue back with it. So when it's, when it's saying, when you, when you can hear it, then you can have a choice, right? Mm. That gives you the option of choosing instead of the action happening. And this is the same with behaviors. So if you're learning a new behaviour or learning to re to overcome an old behaviour, mm. it's the voice th that you want to hear first that tells you to do it. Yeah. Not you don't want to hear it after. Yeah. But that's the the process goes through. Right. I've now I, I know the behaviour. So now when it comes up, I'm going to see when it happens. And then normally what happens is you catch it after initially and you're like, oh fuck, I fucked it again. Now I've got to go say sorry. The saying sorry is the important part because 
the embarrassment of having to continuously say sorry for the same stupid mistake again and again makes you not want to do it. That's sort of step one. Then the, the second step is hearing the voice tell you to do it and then having the ability to stop. Mm. And that's really challenging because mm. it's like, oh, it's really uncomfortable. And my mm. body wants to go and do this. It's really used to doing it, but I'm going to stop. So you might need to exit the scenario that you're in that's making you feel really uncomfortable, like yeah. you need to act out. Yeah. And then walk away and then talk to yourself like you did. Yes. You know, yeah. At dinner. Well, the funny thing about the negotiating with yourself <laughs> is that you know how you like to be negotiated with. So your brain will speak to you. For me, how it works is it's like, oh, you've had enough now. Or you've done enough. Or I'm fucking starving. Mm -hmm. I could do with it. Like, like, you're hungry, get off. Or, you know, it, that, that that voice comes out. It's more of like a fuck it button for me. Yeah. It's just like... Of course but, it is. But normally, and this is where, for me, it's a slightly different theoretical understanding of it. Mm. So what I I know, like, the same as if you were in... Say we were in a restaurant, and me and you were talking. All the background noise that's going on, if you can associate your thinking with the same level of value that you associate with the background noise, you can hear what's going on, but you're mm. not really listening to it. That would be an art to do that though. Bloody hell. Well, yeah. I've, I've found that for me, like when I, when I hear my brain and my thinking, I realize that that isn't, that is an autonomic system. Your body makes a thought out of nowhere. Suddenly you could be thinking about subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. And it just pops up. And mm. then all of a sudden, you know, when you've had a thought come up and then you are within a few minutes, you're having an argument in your head with somebody that you were down the pub with two weeks ago and you were like, yeah, I fucking talk. And you actually yeah, yeah, get annoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was and talking it, about this before when I, I have to, I have to separate myself yeah. from chaos in my mind because it likes to attach. Like, if, like you say, you're at the gym doing something really healthy, really positive, but you sat there seething. Yeah. About something that someone said to you weeks ago and you didn't let it go yet. Yeah. It's or you like, see someone, you're like, <clears throat> oh, I remember when they did this. Yeah. Oh, I bet they're only doing this. I bet they're only doing that. Like, it's all this horrible mm. crap. It's just like, what? No, I just laugh at it. And I'm like, what are you doing? But that's the, level of, that's the level of power that comes with associating your thinking with something else. Mm. My thinking is not me. Mm. Me is this here and the, and the energy in me and the thing outside of me that is telling me, Mm. You know, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. I often try and challenge it and I try and think yeah. like what I've said to you a few times, like a dog, when it thinks it turns its head. So you try to turn Yeah, head. and I just, like, I try and have a minute where I just turn my head a bit and I just think, because we think we've got to solve everything now. Mm. Every time there's a problem or an issue or an argument or a conflict or something, we think we have to actually solve it now. Mm. But if you give yourself space away from it, you don't have to solve it until you're ready to solve it. Mm. Unless it's an actual fire in your house. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's danger. There's a difference between danger and a problem. And mm. a problem, unless you've got like, even if you've got bailiffs standing at your front door, mm. that's a solvable problem. Mm. And it might seem like the end of the world. If you can go away, get some space around it. Like you, when we're in a problem as well, we tend to go and seek advice from outside sources. When I talk to you about my problem, you'll be present and you'll listen to it, but it doesn't become your problem. Mm. Right. And that's where people sometimes lean on others too much to try and help with their problems. They're like, if you're not going to take the advice, you're not going to deal with the problem yourself or mm. come up with the, 
the the theory behind how you're going to potentially try and then try and if that doesn't work, try again. Mm. You're never going to be able to fix problems. Like men, men, or I think men are problem solvers. Mm. Women are really smart. Like again, I don't want to say men and women are two different things because I if, we're all really smart people. Mm. We can be intellectual. We can be intelligent, but emotional intelligence women innately have to a degree, I think, better than men mm. because. Emotional intelligence comes with also emotional venting. They can share with each other in a non-hostile way. And as long as their um, their advice is is given in a loving and like, yeah, well, maybe you should think about it this way and not like, no, fuck him. You know, there's two types of advice, isn't there? There's progressive and then there's regressive. And for me, like the reason I have such close friends now is that all the advice is always progressive. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. It's like, mm. Yeah, it's horrible, but then what? What are we doing with it? Put it down <laughs> and we'll figure it out. That's how I feel about <clears throat> the behaviour with women, though. I feel like that's, um, it's that I always label it as the child that tells you to do the wrong thing in acting out. Mm. It's like, okay, so it's the child that wants telling you give up. It's the child that wants telling you you're not good enough because he's the one who feels not good enough because yeah. he was the one that made to feel not good enough by whatever happened. So he's always living in a life where that's his reality and he'll always keep trying to tell you that that's where you should be. Mm. And it's down to the adult to parent that child and go, listen, no, we don't. We don't belong there. Mm. So for me at the minute, <clears throat> if I'm reaching out to, to something like talking to a girl, a pursuit of a girl, girlfriend, it's, it's him going, oh, I need that to make me feel worthy. And it's like, no, you don't. You really don't. Yeah. You don't, and you, I know because I've done it for years where that behavior has been there mm. and it's been a, a way of, of coping. It's a coping mechanism similar to using drugs and obviously addiction is going to be the main event this evening. Main event, the main course. Um, but yeah, so that's why, that's why it's so important for me right now to not do that. So what did you, what did you get out of your addiction? What other than fucking loads of trouble? Like, now you can cast your mind back a long time into your addiction. Mm. Like, I think it's important for people to understand kind of where you realise now where it all started to go wrong, where the, where the addiction started for you, where, like, and, and I mean outside of, let's say outside of the trauma as well. Mm. So when was it you noticed? When you, you stopped and went, fuck, guess I'm a weird one because I, I had depends on the ages I think yeah so I started I didn't start using cocaine until I was 16 15 mm. and it was no, young as well isn't it yeah very young um smoking weed at 12 mm. and then cocaine at 15 I think was the first yeah. I was the first person to do it in my year oh god that was how yeah and then thought I was so cool but again this was my way of going that was my personality this is yeah. a way of inviting people in was drugs it was yeah. to keep people around me Right. Because, like I said to you with my behaviours before, I could never stay within a certain, fr certain friendship circle for very long until yeah. I recruited all these inadequates like me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of that's the, that's the type of people that drugs attracts, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not entirely and not necessarily all the, all the time, but uh, for the most part. It's normally like, a group of wrong... Not, I wouldn't even wrong call them wrong ones, but if I, if I look at my entire school... Mm. My entire year, like we were the first year in a little village school, secondary school, and our entire year, apart from like maybe 30 to 50 people, mm. like we were all fucked all the time. Mm. All so the yeah, time. It, was, it, was, it wasn't until I was about 22, 23, I don't think, 
when I when it was when I became really successful. That was when I really noticed. And there was a time before that where it got a little bit dangerous and I stopped though. Mm. So I, I was in my first ever recruitment job when I was 17, which I left that when I was 19. So I must have been either 18 or not, or into my 19, yeah. And I started trying to sell drugs thinking I was really clever. But yeah. That didn't work very well because I just ended up sniffing them all. It's really hard when you're addicted to drugs, Yeah, it? it's not yeah, great. It's really but so, yeah, I was just buying like five... Uh, 0.7 so three and a half grams and like, I was explaining this all to you the other day yeah. didn't I originally I'd sell like two and then I'd sniff the rest and then I'd sell then I'd sell none and sniffed it all yeah yeah and at that point I was still working so I was just coming home sitting there sniffing till three four o'clock in the morning on my own and yeah. that was when I noticed it was a problem because I didn't want to stop and I was enjoying doing it on my own I always think that's the biggest catalyst for when it goes wrong when you start doing it alone that mm. for me is the, the 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 point where it starts to go wrong um but then I, I, I nearly lost my job and I didn't want to lose my job. That was more important to me. So I stopped by that bang to stop doing coke for a whole year. Really? So yeah, I would have been 18. Were you still drinking? Still drinking, yeah, but not excessively. I drink at the, drunk at the weekends. And then, um, but then, yeah, when I went and I turned 19, I went to this other company and then, then it was every weekend because I was doing really well. I was earning loads of money. Then I left that company at 21 and then I earned even more money. And then when I had that much money, it just, they say that money doesn't um, change you. It reveals you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reveals who you really are. And it revealed all of my wounds, all of my brokenness came yeah. out. Yeah, as soon as I had loads of money, it doesn't fix anything. Just all it does is reveal all of the bad stuff. And that, or I just got worse and worse and worse. Really? Yeah, and behaviour got worse. Drugs, drug use became worse. It was from two days a week to four days a week. Um, wasn't coming in when I was supposed to do what I did. I was tired and angry and rude and narcissistic and yeah, like yeah, complete narcissism. I think it, when you're a fully using addict, you're just a complete narcissist. I'm going to blame you for what's happening. Everybody to else is me. It's yeah. all your fault. And, and I never do anything wrong. Also, yeah, and, I'll, and I'll be, I'll push, I'll shut you down, and I'll make you feel small, and I'll make you feel worthless. Or me as well. Like oh, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I'd say 22, 23. That was, that was the hardest. That was when it started because that was when I had to go to rehab at 24. Yeah. What about you? So there's a couple of experiences. So one of them, when I first started sniffing, so I used to get in trouble when I was drinking. I used to like get aggressive or cry or just like disappear and I'm just a fucking mess. That's why I started using. And then I started <laughs> sniffing. So I was, I've got a mate. An old mate, he ended up in doing heroin and all sorts. So it's like the old adage, like, you know, gateway. Mm. But I remember him saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing cocaine now. And I lost my mind then. You know, when my brother did drugs, I lost my mind there. But everyone I was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? We're kids. Mm. And then a few weeks later, I'm like, give me some of that. <laughs> so I, but I remember when the first time Total I did it. Yeah, it's easy, isn't it? Um, I remember the first time I did it I thought I didn't really do anything it was just shit gear or we got like stitched up with it but you know I remember like I used to go to the same pub and I and I, <laughs> I took my college card yeah and I scratched off the 8 and made it a 9 uh, no sorry a, a 6 so I was older so I could go mm. out drinking I was only 16, 17 mm. I was go, we'd go down the pub and I'd be buying <laughs> I'd be getting gear and I'd be getting it on tick and like and then I started realising, right, 
we'd get the gear, we'd sniff, we'd go back to the house, we'd sit at my mate's house. He was like the first kid, first lad to ever have his own house. His dad just moved out because he got a bird. And we just stayed at his house. We just sniff, 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 sniff. I just remember sitting there and we'd just be sitting there at four in the morning like, do you want to text him? Do you want to text him? Like We'd just get more and more. But every day I had to do the walk home. Mm. And I used to start college at seven. Mom, no, sorry. I used to get to college at half six in the morning because it's the only time my mum could take me. So I used to get home. Mum would be there. I'd be fucked still. I'd have to get in the car, go to the canteen, at, uh, go to the canteen at college, and sit there until half seven, eight o'clock. For other oh. people start coming in, and you're sitting there in that room, like, oh no, oh, it was horrible. Hey, see, you're um, from what you told me, you're more of a functioner, aren't you? So I, you can, I can I can get up and go to work. I can get up and do what I need to do. And people wouldn't people would know. Could you use around people as well though? No, 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 no. So because I go really because you know my character, I'm really bubbly, really outgoing. You go completely opposite. I am like I think everyone's coming after me. Like yeah, it, yeah, weren't, yeah. it weren't always like that. I remember my first night of psychosis, man. Mm. I remember being around my mate's house. And I was trying to do that funny fun thing where you're trying to be Mr. Fucking I, I can I can move this. I don't think I ever successfully sold any of it. I always do the lot, all of it. And then you end up with a big tick bill or someone really angry that wants a lot of money off you. And you're like ringing the lads like, can you chip into this? And they're all like, no, absolutely not. So like, funny that. Yeah. Weird. that. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like I went, I went to get some more from, from my house. I was only about 18, 19. Mm. So I might've been early twenties. Long time ago, like fourteen years ago, and I, I went back. I come back around, and I, I'd done so much in the taxi on the way back. I don't remember getting in the door, so I almost like blacked out. And the first thing I remember is standing at the curtain window with the blind down, and I was just staring. <clears throat> right, and that was the first time because I thought they're coming. Sounds like the standard night on gear, though. Yeah, it? well, it does towards the end. Like I, if I tell people about my experience of cocaine towards the end. You couldn't imagine. I have one line and I get paranoid. It doesn't make sense I, to use it, does it? No, nah, it, is, it, is, it is the definition of insanity, right? But yeah. there's a romance with the first line. There is yeah, a romance yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got with it where, not anymore, but the romance that comes in where my brain goes, you need a line. or, or But it's, it's like that voice that we were talking about. It, the action followed straight away like because it's always, how do I get it? Who do I have to lie to? How do I have to convince someone to give me the gear? You know, and if if they wouldn't give me it, I got to text somebody else and fucking convince it's them. It's autopilot, isn't it? Yeah, you're but just going, you just. But we've been in sales for years. I've been in sales for fifteen, no, more than fifteen years. Mm. So my ability to communicate an idea is different to to most. I can say, I can, you know, I know how to overcome objections before they even come up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, a lot of the time, I'd always get the gear. I'd always yeah. get it. And then I'm going home to my bedroom or to my mum and dad's house or to wherever I was going to sniff gear on my own in my bedroom on a mm. fucking Tuesday night mm. and then lay there thinking the police were outside until five in the morning. And then I'd be like, I've got work. And then you go to work like that. And then by five o'clock, you're like, oh, I could probably do that all over again. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The only difference with me is that I never went to work. <laughs> you- I was, well, I did when I knew I had to. But so like if I wasn't performing... 
at the start, at the start I worked really, really hard. And then when I just started smashing it, I knew that they weren't going to sack me. So I just did whatever I wanted. So yeah. I, did, I basically didn't come in on a Friday and I rarely came in on a Monday. So I just worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you still smashed it. And I still beat everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> still top pillar. Really? <laughs> everyone hated me. Did they? Yeah. I used to just do massive deals. Like everybody else would mess around. And I thought, and I, they'd, like have like six, seven contracts that would amount to about 17 grand and I'd just do one for 37. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they just, so I just walk in late and, or not at all. Or <clears throat> yeah, I just, um, I just knew my worth at that point. Well, only in that sense though. So I kind of knew I could get away with whatever I wanted. But yeah, I couldn't dream of, of being around people whilst using, I've never ever used gear or been high at work other than once when I had my own company. And even when it was my own company, I still wouldn't because I just, it's, it's a waste of gear. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste of gear. Really? Like, yeah, I remember going in once, yeah. And I think I had my last line at seven. And bearing in mind, I hadn't stopped sniffing all what, night. Seven at night? Yeah, 8 a.m. Oh, fuck. Mm. At 7 a.m. last line had to be at work at 8.30. Yeah. And I'd been sniffing all night. Non oh, stop. Non stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did my last line at seven and I was like, I needed to open the office. So I had to go in. Normally I'd bail out and get something else, but I had the only key at the time. And I had a guy called Alan. <laughs> He's a lovely guy. Doesn't do anything like that. Completely straight down the line. Really, really. What day was it? Honest. I don't know. Midweek, Tuesday, right. Wednesday. I don't know. <laughs> Probably a Monday. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> And I got in and bearing in mind, I'm very outgoing and very communicative and I've always got lots to say, especially in my own business. And I walked in and I was like, what? <laughs> and then uh, I sat down, didn't say anything. I couldn't even speak. And he looked over and he's like, you're all very quiet this morning. I was like, yeah, I'm not very well. I'm going home. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I just got up and left. Oh, I can't do it. I was like, he knows. He knows. Yeah, but they, the thing is, is inherently... You think everybody knows. Oh, you do. Every time, yeah. That's why I didn't... That's the sad thing, because when you first start doing it, that doesn't happen. So when, like, I'm going to go through the evolution of using drugs with you, because I know it would be the same for you, because you start using when you're drinking at, like, what, 17, 18, when you're out. And it's an enhancer, so it actually improves your night. You have a better night. And yeah. it, if you're someone who, like me, who had suffered with certain things about getting drunk and acting like a dick and embarrassing yourself. Oh, was 100%. My, I was the worst. I was so yeah. rude, so mouthy, always getting in fights, mm. just an absolute dick. Such an embarrassment to myself and anybody, everybody, and I'm not hard either, so I was getting in fights <laughs> that my mates, my mates had to fucking get involved with mm. and they had to sort out and I'd end up, they'd end up hurt and I wasn't because they, they didn't come anywhere near me because mm. my mates would all jump in. So I was always the catalyst for fucking problems, chatting up people's girlfriends, yeah, pinching yeah. girls' asses. Like I was just the worst. The worst. No. I, remember, I, remember, <laughs> I remember standing behind my mate Dave, Dave Headley, and he, we were going up the stairs in, um, oh, I can't remember, Renoir's in Leighton Buzzard. And he was on the stairs on the way up and there was a, a gypsy girl in front of him and I put my arm round to him, up her skirt, pinched her ass, and then back round like that and she just went, oh, poof, <laughs> smashed him off. Like. But that was the kind of behaviour I was always uh, transmitting her out uh, if I was just drinking. So when gear come along, yes, I don't have to be a dick anymore and I'm still just as fun. So you know, I'm a bit more in control. I don't lose state, my state of mind so much yeah. and I don't act such an arsehole and I can have fun. So I was dancing and up and you know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah, great solution to the problem. Yeah. 
And then over time, you know, the gear becomes more and the drink becomes less. Yep. You become less and less social. The pubs turned into a house party. So then it was like Free loads of people around yeah. yep. so that you could do drugs freely because obviously going to the toilet, getting caught and people getting thrown out. Yeah. So we was like, well, right, do you know what? It's just fucking easy to have a house party. So obviously when we're getting old enough, getting our own apartments and flats and houses, everybody's starting having house parties. So then it's like, right, even more drugs. <laughs> because yeah, you can take what you want. Because you can take what you want. You've got no risk of getting, getting caught. A plate in the yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you can fucking, yeah, to try it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're using freely and then the alcohol becomes less and the chat becomes worse and more and more seedy and dirty and vile. <laughs> and then people start talking less and less and less. People just retreat into themselves. Someone's watching porn slyly in the corner on their phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's always the two who's still in the kitchen that are yeah. just waffling for hours oh, and hours. Non-stop. Like, you just can't shut them up. And you're sitting there thinking, there's still gear here, but I want to go home. But <laughs> well, I can't so, go until that's all gone. <laughs> but it ain't mine, so I can't have it. And until they offer me a line, I ain't leaving. And mate, I would do that. I swear to God. I was in somebody's house, yeah. And I've been, like, I, I was using for a long time. Mm. Right. And mm. while I was using, like, Everybody liked me because I was always the centre of the party when I was younger. But as I got older and older, everyone was like, oh, fucking, it was weird. And I remember going around to my mate's house one night and he came into me and he sat down next to me in the living room and he was like, Liam, you haven't said anything all night. <laughs> and I was like, and I couldn't say anything. I was like, what? Right? And then he was like, can you get us another half a gram? And I was like, yeah. I can say that. Yeah. No, he was like, no, I was like, yeah. And then he was like, but then can you go home? And that was when I knew, you know what I mean? That was when I knew that I was like, oh, I'm that guy now. You know what I mean? I'm not even got the utility. You know what I mean? I just text my mate and then left. I I remember getting in the, the car and I was like, because wow. they didn't want you to stiff all their gear up as well. No, but it's not that because I, 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 I'm always too, I was always too reserved to say anything. So the plate would normally get passed around. Mm. But for me, like, like my, 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 my using started and it got like immediately was just heavy, mm. way heavier than most. And I would stay out for three days at the weekend, but all my mates did as well. So did was, you ever sleep? Nah, 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 I have sleep, lol. No. <laughs> but I used to go to work on a, on a Monday and I'd work all week and then I'd go out again on a Friday night and, 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 and I wouldn't come back until Sunday night. Um, and sometimes a Monday morning or whatever, like it would be like a last minute attempt to go to work. But I did that for years and years and years. And that was like the fun bit, which was like the normal bit with where there's no responsibilities, no mm. nothing, yeah? But then I... I met my little girl's mum and like we partied together. We fell in love. Like it was amazing. I thought she was the best thing in the world. She thought I was the best thing in the world. Mm. But then I started to exhibit the behavior of an addict. I was disappearing for days. I think mm. I'd got something to try and do something with. And I was fucking, she come, she, I wasn't answering my phone. She'd come around to my mum and dad's house. I was in my bedroom. <clears throat> I was lying under the duvet. She came in, she pulled the duvet back. She was like, what are you doing? She's like, you haven't been asleep yet, have you? And I was like, no. I couldn't sleep. And it was like, you know, I just turned into this pathetic costume of a man. Yeah. And, you know, and when you go through that, you never grow up. 
right? Because you 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 want to go out on the weekends. You go out with the boys. It's the it's the thing to do. You go out with the boys. You get on it. You go home late. You end up in someone's kitchen. You're talking about fights you had when you were 16. You know, you have the same conversations. You tell everyone you love them. And we should be closer. We should be better friends. We should be doing more together. But we've got families and kids and that now. And it's like... I think the minute you start taking drugs reg- on a regular basis, to so say you started taking them at 15 and you're taking them between once, one and four times a month, yeah. you stop your emotional growth from that point. And you do not grow. I, I th- don't think you grow at all emotionally. Arguably. I think you stop because it, it, it fucks your limbic system, which is where your emotional centre is based. Yeah. So your emotional sensor is centre is not growing at all because it's constantly irregulated by the abuse of drugs on a regular basis. I think for the largest portion of people that start out in that world, because if you think about it, right, it, we talk about goals and objectives in it, yeah? And men, young men, right, the goals and objectives are to get through the week, to earn some money, to go out, get enough gear, get enough beer, go out, have some nice clothes on, go out, have a nice time, mm. get with a bird, you know what I mean? And then have a great weekend and then go back into the week. So the objectives are there. Mm. And, and those objectives, if if you stay with the same group and you still do the same things, the objectives don't really change. Mm. You might end up with a missus, but you'll still end up going out on the Friday down a working men's club or down a pub and then mm. the objective never stays. And before you know it, you're 30 mm. with two kids, you know what I mean? And you're, you're in that environment still. But because I'm so glad I'm one of the extreme ones because I couldn't sustain a relationship. I couldn't be a very good parent for, you know... Fortunately, like my, my sobriety journey started when my little girl was born. So I was trying desperately to get sober. Sober, I get six months here, six months mm. there. But all in all, my progression started in the long-term sobriety because you give yourself, like you said, that space to recover your brain. Mm. Like they, they say, like year one, you're still mental. Mm. Year two, you are still mental. Yeah, I think only now, really. I'm I've never felt more clear down. now. I'm just starting to slow down. <clears throat> My brain is starting to be more patient with myself, starting to learn more. But yeah, like I said, going back to that point, I think that, yeah, if you consistently use drugs from the age, whatever age you start using them, you completely stop yourself growing. Mm. Because also you're you're looking looking at the spaces, the environments that you're always doing it, which is when you're in social situations the majority of the time initially. Yeah. That means you can never comfortably go in those situations without it. Oh, so yeah. you've stopped your growth there too. So you haven't you haven't got any natural confidence. I can only have confidence with a beer. And most people actually have that. So mm. if you want to go out on a night out, like I can now, we can now. Yeah. Um, but most people couldn't do that. Most people can't dance sober. Oh, like, mate. Pff, do you know very how- rare I've known anybody to be able to do that. And that's because they're not, they don't know a life without being in that scenario, without 100%, alcohol. 100%. And it's so culturally relevant. Like university is a fucking gateway to just getting fucked for three months. Oh, university three years. bollocks. I don't believe university. No, it's just I a don't. big piss up. You can learn anything you want for free. Yeah. Anything. The internet is yeah, pretty it's abundant with information. Yeah, just, you can ask ChatGPT now as well. It's just free. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, like, if I think about it, it and I think about it a lot, like I can go to festivals, I can go into, um, I can go into social situations, I can go into any situation. Like when we were out the other night, I feel like ten steps ahead of everybody else because I like if we move it back to the most simple thing, walking in a straight line isn't a problem for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you make it as simple as that, walking in a straight line and navigating to where you're going, not losing my wallet, not yeah. losing my phone, not losing my keys, being able to drive home, all of those things. 
I'm fucking 30 steps ahead of everyone else. I was buying rounds of fucking sparkling water for £2.40. Beep. Yeah. Yes, please. I think that um, <clears throat> drunk people, yeah, we have an advantage over them now, don't we? <laughs> In terms of being able to communicate, to not embarrass yourself. I've yet to meet a drunk person that isn't a dick. I'm really sorry to say that. And I say I say that I say that lightly because I know there's versions of drunk, so there's degrees of drunk. And I'm not talking about tipsy because that's fine. Tipsy, merry, you know, yeah. you're, still, you're still in control. Yeah. You know what you're saying, but you are a bit more open, a bit more bantery, probably say a few things that you wouldn't normally. That's yeah. fine. But then there's drunk where you're not, yeah. you're slurring your words. Oh. You can't really walk properly. You're acting like a fucking idiot. Mm. I'm sorry. I've never met one of those that I enjoyed being around, ever. I've never enjoyed their company. They repeat themselves. They don't know what they're talking about. They're an embarrassment to themselves. And I've been out with people when I'm with them at the beginning of the night, we're having dinner. So they haven't, they're not drunk. So I'm like really enjoying these people's company yeah. and having a great time, having lovely conversation, thinking, oh, I've never really spent time with these people sober. Cause yeah. then obviously you go through that transition when you get clean yeah. and they've had a really good, and then as the night's gone on, you know, they've got progressively worse, more and more pissed, less and less of the version of them that I saw earlier on that I really yeah. enjoy being around and more and more of a dick of a person I don't like that I don't want to be around. I have nothing in yeah. common with. And it's and then they start doing gear and I'm like, then they just completely go off a cliff into this oblivion of a person that's nothing compared to who they were. And I'm like, then it just dawns on me. I'm like, oh, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't. How is it? Right. It, so I like, just, just as an example, right. I can go out with a group of people. Yeah. And I love those people and I don't have any issue with those people. But after a certain point, so particularly like there was one occasion where everyone was like trying to drag me into the karaoke. Yeah. That for me is where the line gets drawn to being not fun. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go now. And it's not like, it's not like I have any judgment on anyone else. It's not like I care what anybody else is doing, but it's just, I, I, I for me, I try and remove myself. You know, like, you know me, I try and be as objective as I can. And I try and not polarize to one opinion or another, but I try and put myself in the middle. And it's like, right, well, until I know I'm not feeling it like I want to be here anymore. As soon as I feel that yeah. I now will leave. Yeah. 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 I will leave myself because <clears throat> I don't want to be uncomfortable for any period of time, for yeah. no unnecessary reason. So for the sake of me saying, like, I've had a great night, yeah, I love yeah. you all, I'm going to go. Four hours is normally my limit. Yeah. I because mean, I find that after four hours, everybody gets, it's on the cusp, on the cusp of going to that drunk place that I don't like. So I like, I'd rather leave and have the memory of having, of a good memory of them all, yeah. having a good night and not walking away thinking, he was a dick or he said this or he, like, I don't want to have bad memories of the, of the night when it's been really good and I, I can see it happening and I'm like, I'm out. But our night out the other night, which is, which is the first time we've been out together. Mm. We've been out and we're talking, we're telling old stories, we're having a fucking laugh, we're sitting in the bit that we shouldn't be yeah, sitting see, in. That's different, isn't it? Because we can, we're, we're not drunk. We can stay out as long as you yeah. want. There's no limit on going out with you or without with sober people because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not anxious about what's coming. Yeah. Do you know, that's what it is for me, I guess. I think I, I see the danger. And when I start to see the danger coming, I'm like, I'm out the door. Because I'm so used to that environment. Like I could go down the Welly Road mm. in Northampton, which is like the, the, main, the main strip where people go out. I can go down the Welly Road or Bridge Street or whatever. I can go out and I'm not intimidated. I don't feel worried. I don't feel like, oh God. Because like when I used to go out, my insecurity would lead me to be looking around mm -hmm. and staring at people to mm. try and make sure I'm safe. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like the old 
deer in a field, you know what I mean? And there's mm. a fucking hunter or a fucking lion going to come after him. Like, mm. You're generally, are generally on edge. And if I'd had a bit of two, I was going to be on edge. But for me now, it's like, I'm not bothered. Yeah, no, I'm not so much bothered about other people. I'm more concerned about the people I'm with turning into twats and, and making my night shit. Yeah, so yeah. when I see that, that's the danger I'm talking about. I'm right. like, yeah, I can see you're now acting like a bit of a twat, so I'm going to leave before you act like a big twat. <laughs> <laughs> but because I've come from that world, and I've, I, like, again, I, if I, I've, I go out to, I've been out to house parties, and there's gear everywhere, and people are sniffing lines, and they're like, well, how are you not, do you not even tempted? I'm like, do you want to stay here with me for four days? Do you want to stay here with me for four days? Do you want my missus ringing you up? Do you like? Do you want that? Because that's where do, it's do you want to be go. sharing every cigarette with me that you spark up for the next two days. That's what you're gonna do if you start that with me. So I think it's best to like people. You'll find this, and it is interesting. Alcohol and drugs are the cause of probably more fucking problems in this country than anything else. 100%. You go yeah. down the hospital on a fucking Friday and Saturday night, out. police, yeah, oh, and it's still legal, but ban vaping. Like, fuck, <laughs> fuck off for a minute and actually think about the logic of this, yeah? Yeah. Right? Alcohol and drugs are legal. Uh, look, drugs are illegal, but they're so readily available everywhere. They may as well not be illegal. No, it's just so easy, mate. It's so easy. If I wanted to fucking, if I fancied a relapse, yeah, mm. I could get my phone out now and I could have it in 10 minutes. 100%. 10 minutes yep. from people I do not know. Yep. You could walk into any fucking pub within a t fucking five mile radius yep. and within a minute of being in there, you'd spot the guy that even is a dealer or you'd know that he can get gear. He's got, he's on. He's, he's on it. He's yeah. Like, yeah, text your mate for Easy. me. Easy. Oh, mate, look. You just watch for five minutes, you'll see him. My mates are always amazed. When I go, when I used to go away with him, I was like, I'll get gear anywhere. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, watch. My mate was living up in Nottingham and he'd never, he, like, I went to stay with him for the night. He'd never got it before. He, he couldn't, he was like, oh, I don't know how to get it up here. And I went, I literally walked past first pub, geezer come out outside having a fag. I was like, do you know how to get any gear? And he's like, yeah, the geezer, and he said, I'll text him. And the geezer literally pulled up like three minutes later. <laughs> and I was like, it was the easiest Mate, thing. Mate, I got done. it in Poland in, in the first taxi we got in. <laughs> From the airport. It's so easy. Got in the taxi. I was like, mate, do you know how to get it? But it's illegal. And straight away he goes, yes, we'll take you. I'll take you now. And then off we go to some, it was a bit scary actually, because it took us down some dark, like project looking place. Yeah. <laughs> and then just left. Came back 10 minutes later with a grandma. Like, yes. Brilliant. And <laughs> for me, drugs, drugs are, drugs is a weird word for me these days because you know my feeling around um, ayahuasca and hallucinogenics hallu anything that's psychedelic I don't have an aversion to because I've had some of my deepest life changing moments on fucking heroic doses of LSD mm. I've taken fucking serious doses of LSD like when I ran to the hospital in my socks that night Mm. Right, I was in. I was in. A, it was in an apartment, and I had. I, I was with. I'd been. I got. I love how you say that. You say that so casually. You know when I ran to the hospital in my socks that <laughs> night. No, but I tell you, <laughs> he's like, totally yeah. normal. No, but it, I'm not proud of it. It's just happened. <laughs> right. So I was at. I was at. I was at my house, and I was getting on it, and then she kicked me out. My ex ex. She kicked me out. So I ended up going to my mate's house because you know where the session is all the time. It must've mm. been just like Thursday or something. They'd all been on it from the night before. So I went around there, I ended up there till Saturday. Right. So we, we, mm. we were on it for a few days and back then it was like, we couldn't get any gear. So the MCAT, so the MCAT turned up 
and we were doing that. And like I am, um, someone turned up and they had two tabs of acid and they didn't really want to take them. I was like, give it to me. <laughs> right? I took yes, it. Yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And mm. right, so an hour passed, right. And all of a sudden I'm behind myself and I'm observing me and I'm holding like, a, I had a little Tupperware because like, MCAT was like fucking quarter, fucking Gross. 40 pounds. Never and done it. Stunk it. horrible. Mm. Really good, but horrible. Like it, the, 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 I want to say really good. It's one of them really Moorish, pointless drugs that sort of just gives you a bit of an edge, and then you're just like, like speed. chasing. It. Yeah, speed's horrible as well. But I've never done that either. No, oh, speed keeps you awake unnecessarily long, <laughs> and you bet like you don't feel anything. You're just laying there. Like, <laughs> fucking annoying. Anyway, shit drug. Just, yeah, they're all shit. They're all shit. There's yeah. no good drugs apart from, apart from psychedelics. psychedelics. Yeah. So with, with, with regards to like this night, anyway, I'm doing that with regards. I'm not fucking finishing an email. Um, so I basically, I, I sat there and then I started to see the behavior of other people because I was, I had some, so like some guy come over to me with a, with a CD case. Like, do you need this? I was like, do you want me to need this? And he's like, yeah. So I, I gave him some and then, I thought I didn't trust the people that I was with too much. Like one of my mates was like one of the geezers there was a really close mate of mine. But, you know, I thought that they'd filled my shoes with drugs. Yeah. So I've, I've ran out of the house. Yeah. Cause I took the second tab of acid and that was bye bye Liam. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up running out of the house, running to the hospital in my socks. I thought I'd killed someone. Yeah. So I've gone running in and then I come to, and I want a bed with fucking pads all over me. And I'm having this deep, deep trip where I could hear my dad in the bed next to me and I could hear um, every time I had a positive thought, there was a noise going off, ding. Like I just had this weird, weird experience where I literally, but I thought then I was on a 24-hour recovery program. So I thought outside the hospital was a fucking camera crew and everyone was like, hey, he's done it. He's sobered up for the first time. <laughs> I got out there and there was no one there. So I was like, oh, when my mum took Shock. me home, I thought, it was, I thought they'd be back at my house. <laughs> I still think it's happening. I got home and then I was like, that was when I, because I walked in that house and there was nothing. And I sat down and I was like, every single thing that I just saw and felt then did not happen. <laughs> and that was when I was like, that was my first day where I went, I am getting clean. Yeah, and yeah. I started going to meetings and that's where I met Lee and that's where my recovery journey started nine years ago. Yeah, that's mad. It, like, the thing is, is people think getting sober is just like, we just stop. No, it's a big, <sighs> re well, for you it was different because you stopped on the first go, right? No, no, I went to rehab when I was 23. Oh, right. So you've been going 24. So I think, yeah, 23 or 24 I went. So five years of trying to stop before I eventually got it. But yeah, it was... That's about me. Same for me, six years, I think. Yeah. But what's your um, best and worst experience on drugs? <laughs> so, I mean, worst... How many do you want? Yeah, there's a lot for that. Okay, let's go best then, because there's not a lot of those. There's only about Yeah, but 10. I mean, like, the the best experience for me was, like, me and my mates had been on it for a couple of days, and, like, again, it revolved around acid. Yeah, So yeah. there's two times I took a psychedelic. Yeah. And acid, like, when you're that young, it doesn't have the same effect, because, like, you can go into a, a meditative state with acid and, and seek answers, Mm. which I've done a few times. Like it's fucked up at stories about that. Mm. But I, um, I basically, 
I remember this geezer. He must have been six foot six, yeah? Long hair, big hippie fella. Walked through the door. Like, it was like um, geezer from Harry Potter. What's his name? Hagrid. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. But just like some teenage hippie geezer. And I was like, how would you even know this guy? But then he got some fruit pastels out and he dropped some pipettes onto it. And we were like, fuck it. So we had one each and then there was like one left. So we had half each. And me and my, my pal were just laughing. And we were just got, like, it, it was one of them nights that it was just like everything was funny. And we were like, everything we said was funny. And like, I was drinking fucking vodka and orange out of a Pyrex jug. Yeah. I had fucking, my mate, again, it's not funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> And we, but we were like the, the, the humor that we got from that night, but the then feeling. the walk home and, but it was the memory, you know, and sometimes I think these deeply important memories, these formative moment memories of drugs and alcohol mm. are what our bodies seek. Because mm. really, if you think about it, right, alcohol is not only just the feeling, but it's the camaraderie, it's mm. the fun, it's the friendship, it's the memories, it's the, mm. it's the stories, it's the, you know, waking up with fucking someone's fucking cut your pants off and you're in your bed and we'd shave someone's eyebrows off. Like, <laughs> I come home eyebrowless so many times, man. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, that's fun. But then when you get to 30, 25, 26, 27, you've got kids about and you're doing, you know what I mean? It turns into this environment where you start seeking the same level of fun from something that cannot provide it. And when you try and challenge yourself and get sober, that's when you start to think, that was who I was. Who the fuck am I now? I think that also marries up with the fact that drugs, the experience on drugs over long sustained periods of use usage changes mm. the experience changes 100%. your body adapts to it like, yeah. but the, and the thing is once you your body's created a relationship with it and your brain has created that relationship with it it doesn't go back no. it can never go back so you can never go like even though we've stopped like i'm stopped four years now if i did a line within minutes i'd be fucking paranoid and feel shit minutes and be terrified i'd be looking out the windows i'd be yeah, hiding and yeah, looking at my phone, probably watching some ridiculous porn. <laughs> like that was, it was just grim. It was yeah, just grim. Gross. And like that, that I know now, even though I've had that time off it, that's exactly where I'd go. It'd be no, no different, which is the, the shit thing really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the important thing to remember really for me, because you, you, you're not, you're not going back, you're not going back to something that you used to love. No, yeah, well, the two, like you say, there's so many terrible memories. And, and, I, and I don't actually have like loads of, um, like I said, what's your worst, best and worst? I don't really have that many best cocaine memories because there was always another drug with it. It would always yeah, be yeah. like ecstasy Psychedelic or ketamine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, one of the two. Like they would always, yeah, like ecstasy or ketamine would mixed all together, like all three and balloons on like all of it together. Done all. How are we alive? <laughs> so, so how are we alive? I tell you, uh, one of the highest I've ever been. Well, did I, you, I think I told you this story about when I was in Austria. No, I did. Have you? I, I did tell you. No, you told sure me about I'd, when you got arrested. No, I told you when I went to Austria. Well, the, <laughs> you ambulance. Took a pill with the ambulance. Yeah, yeah, the ambulance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that's. Probably the highest I've ever felt. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it was liquid ketamine and a pill. So ecstasy and ketamine at the same time. Did you have to drink the liquid ket? No, injected into my veins. You mainlined ket? Yeah, they gave it to me. 
Oh, the, the paramedics. I was going to say, mate, what festivals are you going to? Some geezer with a needle. Like, yeah, walking around with a fucking fire. Ketrip. <laughs> yeah, a fire. No, that I can imagine was so, yeah, fucking he had a, pharmaceutical grade yeah, ketamine. Yeah, thick tube, like, you know, that thick. It was this long. He did half of it the first go. And then as I was doing that, the pills obviously kicked in at the same time. Oh, you took one, didn't you? Because I took a pill about 20 minutes, 30 minutes before that. I hadn't eaten anything. And I'd literally, it just went... <laughs> it's like that cerebral palsy state. <laughs> well, that was good, Ket. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, and then before we leave it, about 10 minutes later, he goes, it still hurt. And I'm like, yeah, it still hurt. Can you give me some more, please? Oh, <laughs> and, he did, and he did the rest. So yeah. I had this full syringe. Mate, I was just yeah. off into space. I was gone. I Absolutely think it's interesting, gone. like, when you think about like, the amount of times you've gone out, yeah? And people have turned up with a pill or a drug or a line or whatever they've turned up with. You'll just do it. You'll just do it. What is it? Oh, yeah, I didn't care. I always, the thing is, I never really did psychedelics. And I, that's not because I didn't want to. It just never came around. No one I ever, I never bumped into anybody that had it, which how, is weird. How are you, you feeling about sitting with the medicine? About doing ayahuasca? Um, there's part of me that's a bit nervous because obviously I've got my four years clean time and I'm proud of that and that will essentially mean that I won't have it anymore. Well, I will, but just only for those two substances. Um, and there's obviously, there's a certain risk that it could lead you to doing drugs of, another, of a, a different nature um, afterward. But I, I was just, but I don't have the, I don't have that relationship with it no more. So I'm not scared about coming back and wanting to go and do coke. So I just, I, yeah. I, I despise it. I despise alcohol as well. I can, get, I can get jealous of, of people drinking at times. A beer, like a, yeah, like yeah. in a social way, in a way, in a way that I've never done it basically. Yeah, yeah. Because I've never been someone who could drink two, three beers and go home. Never. That's just not me. One nice cold pint. No, there's never one time where I've managed to get out. Have that one cold pint. Yeah, and then just go home. And Right, so there's two things about it. It's, it's going there, having the one beer, putting it down, saying goodbye to everyone, mm. texting the missus, I'll be on the way home. Yeah. yeah. Never happened for me. No. Never. Never happened. Never. <laughs> if I'm going out, I'm, yeah. Bye. See you later. See you later. I'm going until I've run out of money or, or, I, or I've passed out. Yeah, yeah. That's it. They're 100%. the two options. <laughs> and it's sad. I don't know. I don't know any other point to it. That was my mind. That's the way my, my, my mind works is if I'm doing it, I'm not doing it because it's social and fun. I'm doing it because I want to get absolutely obliterated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's no point in drinking if I'm not going to get what steaming drunk and I'm not going to do a shitload of gear. Like no. there, there, there was no in between comfortable stage for me. It was thousand miles an hour or zero. I just want to. I think because we've 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 spoken about drugs so much now, we're sort of talking about them in such a such a lovely way because there's that romance with the with the stories. Mm. Like for me, I think it's important that we sort of cover some of the the shit. No, the beautiful parts of just getting sober. Because for me, when mm. I got sober, I mean, it could be completely different for you, but when I got sober, there was a real accomplishment with the fact that because I'm not just a light user and I've stopped. It's no. like the biggest, heaviest man in the world loses all his weight. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like that 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 thing where somebody wants like alcoholism is the only the only thing in the world where you're doing it 
and everybody blames you for it, but actually it's a sickness. Mm. You're mentally unwell. Yeah. You believe that that substance is going to make you better and you need it and you don't even, you're not even conscious of it. Yeah. I mean, before we go on to the, because I always, I phrase it like this, darkness and light, isn't it? Yeah. We need to talk about the light, of course. I think there's obviously, there's a few... I haven't spoke about the darkness really yet. Oh, sorry, mate. Do you no, know what I mean? No, yeah, please, no, I don't think don't... either of us really have, you know, in terms of... Oh, I'm trying to get away from it, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I want to get away into the light part of it as well because it's important, but I think we've spoke about really kind yeah. of the fun experiences that we've had that didn't really cause too much carnage. We just said that we were, we were animals, basically, mm. that loved getting on it, but what does that lead to, you know, and where, where did that take me? Because... After, you know, obviously I built my company. I'd lost that by the time I was 23, 24. And then I sold it when I was 26 for like 160 grand when originally my shares were worth over 2 million. So over the space of the two years of me leaving and not being there, the profit went down every month, every quarter, every year I was gone. It went down, down, down because I wasn't there. And then that I sold out because my dividends were getting smaller and smaller and I knew I wanted money. So I was obviously earning like 20, 30 grand every three months and then that was getting down to 25 to 20 to, to, to 18 to 15 to 14. Every, and then I was like, right, okay, now I can't afford to pay my bills and do all my drugs. So then I'd lost, so not only I'd already lost my 100 grand a year salary that I had, I think even maybe, I think more than 125 maybe, I was on then at 20, 23, 24. And then, so I lost that salary, but I was still living off the dividends. And then 20, 26, I sold out for like 150 or something. And then I spent all of that in nine months. Jesus Christ. For those, those I'd say they're the two, two darkest years of my life and I don't remember much of it, but what I remember was fucking horrible. You know, from going out, from it progressing from that, you know, to get into 23, 24, it was always kind of fun up till about 22. And then it started to become a problem. And then 20, 25, 26, 27, 28, especially 26, 26 to 28, two years, I barely left my house. Really? No, didn't do nothing. I just had drugs delivered every day. Bearing in mind, I was still a dad at this point as well. Never went to any, did any school runs, never went to any school events, never did anything, never, nothing. I just stayed in that house, had random visitors every now and again that would come and do drugs with me. Um, I had a room up in the top of the house that was like, a, it was a bungalow, but had two sides of it that was converted that had, one was a kid's playroom and the other side of the house was like a, my little cave that I'd built for myself basically just a drug den mm. and I just was up there all the time and it was just on my like either on my own sitting there like, I remember calling my business partner once and I was crying my eyes out I'd taken like seven diazepam as, and then I discovered diazepam and coke together as well which was a bad fucking move because I realised that it stopped all of the um, anxiety. anxiety and the weirdness um, so then I could go for longer which was a bad thing so I was already going five six days at a time awake yeah, do you know what I mean? Imagine that no to sleep five, six days. I was out in the garden. I was thought, I thought, because my dealer used to hide um, apes around my property. Because I had like quite a big, sort of Simmons in his house actually. And I had, he had like, um, he'd hide like apes underneath big rocks and stuff because I lived quite far away. So he didn't want to keep coming out. So he hid like four or five different apes around my property. And I'd be ringing him up and he'd tell me where he'd go, right, take four steps out the front door, turn right, take seven steps and then lift up the rock and it's there. I'm like, yes. So that's all I had to do. But then obviously, eventually, yeah, eventually though, he's like, oh no, yeah, there's none left. And I'm like, you're lying. 
So I'm out there at four o'clock in the morning for three hours until seven o'clock searching under rocks in my fucking garden, in my pants and my fucking robe, trying to find drugs. So I mean, that was, that was my life for two years, wow. for two years, rarely. And I had spells of trying to stop. I had like maybe two or three months here and there and I'd go out walking the dog and I was feeling like I'm getting somewhere. But yeah, there were times when I was calling my business partner, David, and crying on the phone to him, begging him to help me, begging him to let me have my company back. And yeah, it was just, just never happened. And he was just like, no, it's, it's nothing I can do. I was just crying on the phone down. So I remember, I remember it got to what this was the scariest point, And this is where I knew, yeah, it was, it was bad because I, I'd lost all concept of reality because I basically was screaming, I can't remember what it was about. I was screaming at Lee saying that this had happened and she'd done this and she'd done that. And I was like, there's this, look, I'm telling you, this is what, she's like, Zach, this never happened. You are not, this isn't real. What you're talking about, it's not real. Really? And, yeah, and I was like, fuck you, you're lying, you're lying. I was so angry. And then I can't remember how, but she, she proved to me that I was wrong. And when that penny dropped, she'd show me some sort of evidence that it was on her phone, something she'd showed me that basically said, showed me point blank with irrefutable evidence that I was wrong. And as soon as that happened, my whole world just fell into fucking, like shattered into pieces. Cause I was like, I'm crazy. I've lost my mind. Yeah. Cause I was, and then I was so scared. So, so scared. Like I called my brother. I sent a text to my brother and my cousin who were the closest people to me at the time. And I just said, I really need you to help me. I'm so fucking scared and I'm so lost and I don't know what the fuck is happening. I have no idea what is going on. And it was, and then I'm having mate, Chris Compton, who's still my mate. And he was, he was on the phone to me as well. And he's like, yeah, you need to sleep. You need to go to sleep. I, I've been awake for about seven or eight days. And it's like, yeah, that was the most horrible, horrible time. And then I moved house again. And then I did another year of doing that in a different house, which was lovely as well. But that was in the middle of nowhere. So that was even more scary going outside, looking in the bushes, thinking it was, I, I couldn't even stand outside and have a cigarette. I was so scared. Yes. Yeah, I, I could, cause it was too dark. I couldn't see far enough. I couldn't see far enough to where, to be, feel safe enough to stand outside. So I'd lean out the, I'd lean out the fucking door, blowing cigarette, and I'd just throw half and in the morning. There'd be like 10 half cigarettes where I just haven't been able to stay out there long enough. Cause I got too scared. Mm. And it's like, it was only when I finally split up with his mum, Archie's mum. Then I went to my brother's, then I got another girlfriend and then I spent a year with her. <laughs> yeah, another one straight away, literally within weeks. Really? Yeah, new girlfriend within weeks. And then we moved in together four months later and then we she hated gear, so I stopped for four months and then started using again and she just so kind of accepted it and was like, let's fuck it. I can't beat him, join him basically. And then she started using and then she got fucking hooked on it and that was all on me. Oh. Yeah, and then I went to rehab, and then because eventually I was, I had Archie's mum smashing my fucking window in, telling me I need to do this and I need to do that, because um, I was just not turning up for him, not showing up for him, and uh, I wasn't going to work. My everything was just it was all about to come. The, the whole world was just collapsing around me. Everything was closing in. The walls were closing in. Job was about to go because I had to go and work for somebody else and mm. doing the same job, and then I went into my my office after not being in for about two weeks. And I just um, went and had a meeting and cried my eyes out to him and just said, look, please help me. I need to go to rehab. I wanted to go. That was the difference between this time and the first time I went. I only went because I wanted my company back. This time I 
I, I remember waking up, looking at myself in the mirror, I was skinny, crying and going, you've got a choice, mate. Die, kill yourself, or you need to live another way because this ain't working for you no more, mate. You know, and it was, it came off the back of this. This is the horrible, most horrible story is that Archie and I had been um, practicing. It was probably about four or five. And he'd been practicing this, uh, we'd been practicing gymnastics and he'd been asked to go to a competition for his school. Right. And we'd been practicing for weeks. And then the night before I decided to get on it, got on it so much that I couldn't even talk. So then he couldn't go to school. His mum normally would have come and got him, but she happened to be away, so she couldn't take him. And then he, I said to him, I'm really sorry, but I can't, I'm not feeling well. I can't take you, mate. And you're gonna have to stay home today. And he said, oh, it's okay, daddy. I wanna stay with you anyway. So he stayed and I was just in and out of consciousness all day. And then he missed his competition. And then he went to school the next day. And then he came home to me again and he's, uh, he just walked through the door and cried his eyes out, looked at me and said, Dad, everybody had medals. Everybody had a trophy and I didn't have one. And I worked so hard and he just burst into tears and I held him and I just felt fucking horrible. That is the worst I've ever felt. And then that was, it was that weekend he wasn't with me and I was using again and that was sitting with me. And I just remember waking up, looking at myself, feeling so ashamed. And I told his mum that I couldn't have him anymore. And it was then I decided I knew I was going to get clean. I knew it. That was that point. I still used for about another four weeks, three or four weeks. But I was all the time working out with work, trying to get into rehab. And, and I was still using. But I was like, I knew. That was the pain. That was the thing I needed that mm. snapped inside to hurt enough for me to go, right, it's time for me to... I can't live like this no more. So either don't be here or be here, but in a different way. Yeah. And then when I went to rehab and that was it. And then I came out and because my missus would, was, had been used to use and she didn't want to stop. So she disappeared on a night out and I never, I never, and I think she cheated on me that night. And then that was over and I was alone. And then I was, but I'd come out of rehab and I was just, I said to her, like, I can't be with you if you want to use anyway. Like I was, and I was so firm. That's what I wanted. And that yeah. was it. I stayed clean from then on. But yeah, it was brutal. Oh, Brutal. that brings up some memories, man. What about you? How was yours? Um, <clears throat> you know, it's all, all well and good talking about the fluffy stuff, in it? Mm. Because for years, years, I literally, like every relationship, so my little girl's mum, she got pregnant. We we decided to have a baby because we were tired. We were on the sesh. We'd been fucking, we were in bed. We cut laying there. We were like, we don't want to do this anymore. The anxiety, the fucking feeling. We were like, we don't want to do this anymore. So we decided we'll try for a baby. And like a week later, she's pregnant. So that's when everybody else gets their shit together. And I couldn't. Mm. I thought I had nine months to live. And I was just going and going and going and going and disappearing and disappearing and disappearing. But then, you know, money troubles and job troubles and just just generally being a nuisance. And I remember that was the time when I ran to the hospital in my socks. I joke about that, but that was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. Where you know that moment when you realise everything I just thought was real then it's not. Yeah. And uh, frightening. Yeah, terrifying. And then I came out. I started going through the recovery process, and like life was great, but. You're with somebody you've traumatised 
you're with someone you've hurt mm. and you want them to see you again. And actually you don't even know who you are no. because that's all your life's been. And, you know, then there was a few more years of it. And I remember when she separated with me, right, I went to, I, went, I was supposed to come back and pick my daughter up. It was uh, Halloween. I don't know what fucking year it was. But I'd gone out to some random party. I got invited over. I was newly single. I was a bit desperate, a bit sad. I just wanted to go out and be around people. I didn't really have loads of friends, so I was just dotted around. And I went to this party, and it was just horrible, and I ticked loads of gear off some random geezer, and we're just I was standing there. I couldn't even talk. It was a fancy dress party, and I was just standing there in a costume. I didn't know anyone. I just couldn't talk. And they're like, who's this fucking geezer? And then the next morning... I've come to life. I'm fucking running around the place because I was more pissed than I was fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Then the police turned up. The police turned up because one of the geezer's cars got nicked outside the house. Well, well, that happened yeah. to me once. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, she called me. She was like, where the fuck are you? I was like, I'm so sorry. She was like, I'm coming to get you. Mm. She came and picked me up, bless her. And she dropped me back. And she said in the car, she said something like, you do know this is it now. And mm. uh, that was in like October, obviously. Mm. And uh, yeah, she got a new fella in December. And I remember that happening. And that was the first time, right? That was the first time I realised, yeah, how to tap into something bigger than me. I, I loved her. I didn't want to give up. Mm. And that's when I started getting out of bed at four in the morning, going for a walk, going to the gym training. I started my process of becoming who I am today. Mm. So I started really lifting myself out of that. And I was, I, I wrote a book and, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial at heart. I've always wanted to achieve things. I've always wanted to do things. And I thought that was the way. And that's kind of why she got fed up with me. Cause I'd have all these fucking great ideas. I'm going to do this, do that. Mm. Um, you know, and you know, that for me was, was the hardest thing. And then when I had to let her go was when I was, I'd, I'd put the book out and then my business partner had walked away and I was fucking, I'd drug, I had people fucking, to, like I went to Body Power, went to Body Power, like the launch of the book, went to the Body Power to sort of familiarise myself with it and like everyone in the hotel room was fucking sniffing gear and I was with some fucking big name influencers, man, and I was sniffing gear and I'm like, all right. <laughs> and that's when, I, like, so all that work I'd done on myself, I just undone it because I thought it was normal. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I I tried my hardest and, you know, she walked away and then about a year passed and I met my little little boy's mum, my two boys' mum, and, um, like, I'd never felt so hard for someone. Like, mm. I was, that was it. And she was normal, she didn't drink, she had a nice family, she was just lovely, sweet, had her own little house. It was, like, lovely, amazing. And I genuinely just wanted to be there. And I loved, I honestly treated her so well in the first six six months. But then I just kept disappearing. I just disappeared. My mate, my mate, I, I, I locked myself in my mate's house for fucking three days. I turned my phone off. I was sniffing in there and she fucking turned up there. My brother had told her where I was. I, she turned up there. She walked in. And luckily, I just downed a bottle of champagne. So you leveled out a bit. I leveled out. No, but I was para. When she turned up, she was like, what the... F Her mate was like, what the fuck are you doing? Who the fuck are you? And I was like, couldn't even talk. Mm. And, um, you know, she stuck with me and she tried and tried and I started realising I was trying to get sober and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it took me a long time and I got sober. Right? I remember she came downstairs one morning and I'd eaten an eighth. 
eating it. Oh my it. God. Yeah, so I was licked. I thought the police were outside. I ate it. Um, and I was eating a bowl of fruit and nut and I was trying to look normal. Yeah, and I just I was trying to get, like, I just wanted to pretend I was normal. And she said to me, you don't love me, do you? And I was like, do you know when you've, well, if you've eaten an ape, you can't really talk. <laughs> no. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I couldn't say anything and I didn't know what to do. And then I remember going to like, that's not funny. That was my first, I know it is funny because it is weird behavior. Mm. I look at it now and I cast my mind back on it. And I think, thank you. Thank mm. you for doing that. Thank you for all that stuff happening because it's made me who I am today. Mm. I don't regret it. I do. I regret hurting people and I regret the process, but that line stops with me now. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I remember um, it was my first day at BMW. It was my dream job, selling motorbikes, main dealer. You know, it was great. And uh, I phoned in sick on my first day because <laughs> I was using. And I told her I was anxious. And then the next day is when she caught me with the fucking cocoa pots. But I used to get, I used to wig out and I used to go out for walks around the, around the village and I used to climb into trees and I think the police dogs were chasing me and I'd run up and climb up trees. I sat in a tree once with so much cramp in my legs and one of the neighbours, it was like seven in the morning and they just, like, one of the neighbours walked past and they were like, <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't even know what to say, mate. It's so bad. But then, like, you know, you go to work and you see yourself as normal and you try and live your life and you try and, like, recover and get yourself sober. And the thing that got me is, like, when she got pregnant, right, so I'd gone to work. I'd fucked up. She knew that. I'd gone to work. There's two two experiences. I come back, right, and she hadn't heard me come back. I've come in the door. I've gone upstairs and she's on the bed crying, pregnant. And I looked through the door and I just went, that is all you that is all you and you're doing it again you're going to lose your kids again you know what I mean mm. so I started again trying to get sober and this is how, how this is how she knew right we went to therapy together went to couples therapy I was in recovery I was getting sober my life was perfect. My job, I was top salesman. I was doing really well. Anyway. I weren't necessarily top salesman. I was doing really well at work. You know, I had my recovery circle. I was doing everything. Everything was great. Me and her were great. You know, we were laughing a lot. It was just lovely. And I went to show my mate this new motorbike. Um, it's actually a mate of mine now. I still speak to him. He's sorting himself out a bit as well. Um, I was, he said, I've got something. So I said, I'll oh, give us free then. Right, right. So she was going on holiday that, that, that next day. She was taking, cause her mum and dad were like, oh, we'll take you away. Cause you've been through loads of shit with him. So when we got back together, I was literally about to move back in. Right. So it was my birthday. The 20, it was the 22nd of May, 2019. Right. So it was my birthday the next day, the 23rd. She had a key for me, ready to move back in. She'd put all stuff in the house for me to go back into because like there's not big celebrations of birthdays in, in my family, really. There is there, we have get-togethers, but it's not really a big big affair. Um, and uh, yeah, I picked up. Right, I went back to the house. I started doing lines. I was thinking because I had to go, all I had to do is go and pick the dog up, go back to the house. That's all I had to do, and I could have like got away with it effectively because she was mm. getting on a plane and going on holiday. I didn't. I drove to Bedford. I was just trying, I couldn't stop driving. Everyone's got these dash cams. I thought the police were following me everywhere. I parked outside a church. Now this is what I think is weird. I parked outside a church. 
I was literally standing on my seat screaming, thinking police dogs were coming for us. I'd sniff that much. I thought police dogs were coming under the car. It was really strong as well. <laughs> I thought police dogs were coming under the car. I thought, mm. you know, my life was over. I got out of the car. I plucked up the courage to get out of the car because I thought I was going to get mauled by dogs and that's like my worst fear. Um, I went and bought a bottle of wine, got more, carried on. I was walking around the village on my own fucked walking around Wharton village on my own at seven in the morning and i just carried on walking right i did twenty eight thousand steps <laughs> right i looked at my phone i've done tw- from midnight hey, i've got oh, i won't stop your story but i lived in that like i said a flat that was as big as my living room yeah and i did twenty two thousand steps in my flat Mate, your I didn't even was... leave. Oh, so I just literally, that was me pacing up and down, looking for stuff, looking for cigarettes and opening and emptying cupboards and just non-stop within 12 hours, I did 22,000. So sick. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. But no, but one thing I want to say is, is like, and I think any addict would agree with this, and I don't like to refer myself as, to as, as an addict anymore because I feel like I've healed. Mm. I don't like to call, I, I, I used to be an addict. I used to have a problem. Mm. Yeah, that problem is still there if I fucking want to pick that scab off. Right? Yeah. But I don't I don't want to call myself that. And that's going to be controversial, particularly in recovery circles. Mm. But I, I feel like those moments, those deep, meaningful moments where I, like, like so I've got the video on my phone. I recorded a video because I knew it was going to be a moment in my life that I needed to document, yeah, because I got on my knees and I prayed. I said, someone needs to help me, man. Because she was like, I can tell you there's something not right with you because everything was perfect and you still did it. Mm. And that was when she started to twig, like, like she said to her whole family, like, this is something wrong with him. Mm. And then she started to blame me less for it. Do you know what I mean? like an illness in you. Yeah, she, she, she was like, I was like, I just said to her, like, I don't know what to say. I've do run you, out of words. Do you think that I always have always said that my theory is that every addict, every single one suffers with either low self-worth or insecurity of some form. Every single one I've ever met has. I oh, don't know one that hasn't. No, but it, so it is, is a, it is, it is a significant thing that stems from your childhood. It doesn't also, necessarily have to be that. No, no, but, but it's, it, some, it's a big contribution In some factor, way, or, yeah. or something. It doesn't necessarily, yeah, it might not be, because I know people that have had a great childhood um, and still have massive insecurity or low self-worth and it comes from something else. Yeah, you know? sort of not fitting in or not yeah, being yeah, part yeah, of. Yeah, anything yeah. could be something really insignificant. Just being disjointed. Yeah, slightly. yeah, in some way or another. But what I've, I've never met an addict who hasn't had it, not one. I think I think as you continue to to do the shitty, horrible, druggy, fucking shit that you do, all the lies, all the deception, all the borrowed money, all this, all that, yeah, mm. that amplifies that like, because you know what you've done. So the what the, the the greater the gap between proof, you, isn't it? yeah. So you've you've proven to yourself because nobody knows what you're thinking, nobody mm. knows what you're doing, or talking to other people, nobody knows what you're saying, right? Half the time. Mm. unless they're talking to each other but that amplifies it so uh, here's what, something I want to sort of talk about right so my my ex's brother-in-law right I love the guy yeah he's like you know professional footballer fucking like dad of the year man of the year he's just the nicest guy mm. yeah everywhere he goes he's got this energy and everyone just is just like love him he's brilliant just he can sing, he can dance, play football. He's just like one of them guys, yeah. Mm. And I used to go around there, and I just remember feeling like I'm not good enough to be here. But mm. it, it was like so passive. 
And I didn't feel like I was worthy. And I knew what was going on in me. You know what I mean? I'm like, he always said to me, I've told him a few times, he was like, mate, you're being a fucking idiot. Mm. But I just never could shake it when I was when I was there. But this is the time, this is the only time in my life, ever, 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 I don't feel less than anyone. Mm. Anyone. I think it's the cure. There's, a, there's three things. Like people say, what is the cure to addiction? There's three things, I think. It's community, spiritual awakening, mm. and self-worth. Yeah. Got those three you'll never use again. You never feel the need to. Those three things have to come from a good community. Yeah, okay. oh, of yeah, people. Of I probably have a community of dickheads. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I've got a load of bellends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but a community of good people. That support you, that, that support the direction you're going. And are on the same sort of path as well. I think so. As For the much largest as, part, you think about our circle. As much as people would like... like there's two sides to that. I think you can still have friends that use drugs and I still do have friends that use drugs. I don't see them very often. Yeah. And that's the only way it's like, I had to distance myself. And I think if you're, if you're going to stop using drugs and you're going to try and get clean, you have to disconnect from them. Everything. Yeah. Just Anything, while you get better. Yeah. And Just, now I can yeah. dip into that. So if you get to a year, then okay, try it. Go back into that world a little bit. Not right. I'm going to fucking Vegas first time out. No, I'm going to go down to the pub at the end of my road with a couple of pals. That I, know, value, I know there's drunk and I know I can safely get home. And then you try something a little bit more each time and you get stronger and you grow the muscle to be having strong enough to go go out and come back home whenever you feel either uncomfortable or that you've had enough. I don't know if it's the same for you, but I never felt challenged by it while I was out. I felt when I was, so when I used to go out because I'd made such a firm decision and resolution in myself. Right. Mm. But like I said, you don't, if you were trying to quit dr drugs and alcohol, right. You don't go and piss around with people that are drinking alcohol until you're ready to mm. be around. Like, first of all, go, like Christmas is a good one. If people are drinking. You're not bothered. Fine. Fine. Mm. Yeah, but you don't want Christmas every day. No. You know what I mean? You will, you will drink. No, I think for me, the struggle about going out, it wasn't, it was, it was that what I was talking about earlier. It was being in an environment that I'm not used to being in without drinking drugs to support my behaviour mm. or my my security and my confidence. Yeah. So I basically went into an environment where I'm normally the life and soul and mm. dancing and having a laugh to being very, very insecure mm. and being very uncomfortable. Vulnerable. And being totally, yeah, almost felt naked. Yeah. I remember going out the first time, I must have been, I think I was five months clean and I went to Leighton Buzzard and I went, I went and met a girl called Charlie and we'd went out for the, <laughs> coincidentally, <laughs> went and met her and we went out and I remember being out for about an hour and a half, two hours tops. And I nearly shat myself really? because I was so, my stomach was twisting. I felt anxious. I never had any of these feelings before because I just attributed them to being on the gear. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I never felt them naturally. Obviously, you always need a shit when you've done a line, <laughs> you know. And you always that anxiety feeling is part of. Yeah, I just thought that was that. But then I'd never really truthfully experienced how I felt in social scenarios without Amazing. drink or drugs. Wow, I was not confident. I was not the guy. And I still don't think I will ever be that same person. I have far more confidence now after practicing. But the first time I was really uncomfortable. I can't, I couldn't eat. I could not eat. I could, I was like, not hungry at all. I feel sick. Really? Yeah, so uncomfortable. I think because obviously I've been doing so much therapy and it was, you know, kind of breaching those moments where I'd understood actually how much I hated who I was and yeah, how yeah. all of that behavior was just a behavior that I'd, 
created that to protect the reality of it's weird to be not a very confident person by nature, but to have created a confident personality to protect that personality. Boom. Yeah. yeah it may, do you know what I mean? So, so somehow I've created a part of me that isn't me that enables me to protect the part of me. That's nothing like that. And that part of you tells everyone else. I am confident. Yeah, I am yeah, this. Yeah. I am that. Like everyone you say to me, You've got everything. You're, yeah, what, you're confident, you're funny, you know, this and that. I'm like, mate, you have no idea. Yeah. I have to put on a fucking show every time I walk out this door. And yeah. it's only till now that I've connected with myself. The show, is, the show, I call him the showman. Yeah, but the showman's not there anymore. Mm. I'm just myself. Yeah. And for me, like, I've, you, the showman comes part of you. The showman is part of you. But well, you think it's you for a long time, don't you? Yeah. You don't you know are, the difference. Yeah. You don't know the difference, really. And I think it's only when you stop using drugs and you start putting yourself in those situations, you start to realise, oh, actually, fuck, this is really hard. This think, isn't easy. I think the part of me where I've pulled the showman back and I've brought it up to meet the vulnerable, soft mm. guy. Yeah. Yeah, you end up with this really nice concoction. Like of, I said to you earlier, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, lovely. That's that really. Well, you can word. draw parts. So there is parts of the showman that I like. You know, there's parts of him that that are. It, it's all you essentially, yeah. but part of you is the one that you created, and it's, it's like things, a shield you forged yeah, out, of, out of years and years and years of trauma and bullying mm. and fucking self doubt and self belief and all this bullshit. And when you realise, and again, I keep saying it, the person that you've built is enough stop doing the dicky behaviours that you don't like exhibiting or other people en masse are telling you. If you're five people saying you're this way, yeah. you kind of have to say, I need to listen to them because I might be wrong. Do you know the saddest thing about addiction is is that you do drugs to be to maintain that character, right? You yeah, know, it's 100%. to keep the show going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the reality is not many people really like that person okay so you think you're doing it because if you do that then everybody will you know like you more yeah, yeah? or you'll, you'll get more attention which makes you feel better yeah. you know and that's the person that everybody likes so right. Jack, you know Jack the lad the life and soul and all of that yeah but really they don't because he's still a bit of a dick you know he's immoral he's a liar he's a cheat he's let down yeah. he doesn't turn up you know and he just he's fucking, not a friend he's not a friend he just loves gear do you know, eventually that's how it ends up and it's like the, the saddest thing is that underneath that 99% of the time, not always, but most of the time, there's a really lovely, sweet, I strip it back to like being a child. What was I like before the trauma started? Yeah. I was a very sweet boy. I was very loving, very affectionate, very kind, always wanted to help. That was who I was. Mm. And he's gone, you know, and this other dick. And he's still, this other dick is erected, you know, and he's there. <laughs> Big and he's the guy angry. shielding this broken version of yeah. that, you know, he's still there. And every now and again, though, people would see, that's why I always got the Jacqueline Hyde thing. People were saying, like, especially in relationships, they're like, you, they see both of me. So they saw the little sweet, lovely guy. They also see this guy. They're like, who the fuck? They're like, I don't know which version of you I'm going to get. Mm. And it's sad because if all a lot, and the trauma was the thing that created this man, this one to protect you. But if you did, if that didn't happen and that guy wasn't created and you were just this, everybody would just like you anyway. And you'd like you too. And, it, and you wouldn't have never needed to be an addict. It, this guy was always there. He's always, always he's always been there. And this is what I always say. He's like a little light, a little ember. And is the people that don't make it, the people that die, the people that, it, when it does kill so many, is that, you know, the more and more you use, the more the showman, the bigger and stronger he gets. And the light on this little, the inner child, the light on the sweet, real view underneath, it gets lower and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. 
And if it goes out and the showman's the only thing left, he'll die. He's never going to survive. He'll kill himself because he hates himself and he can't think of this person anymore. Mm. But if that light stays on, and I swear you get to, you get to a point where the light's flickering on and off, on and off, and it's like death or life, death or life. So I've got a choice. And if you pick life, life, the light stays on and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows over time and you start to become more and more safe in that person and being like you, when I saw you be vulnerable, it's like, right, your light's shining again, isn't it? Mm. It's like that light of you, that softness, that lovely, sweet, emotional, sensitive boy and man, he's there mm. and he's, he doesn't need to be afraid because yeah. everybody loves him. Everybody loves him and they're always going to love him, mm. you know, and it's, it's a sad reality when you realise how many years you wasted with that, that guy. Like, like, so one, one thing I really got out of my last retreat is it's just like all the parts of you, everything you are, because you are your past, you are, you, you are like your character has been formed over these years. But when you drag that sweet, innocent, nice, vulnerable character to the surface, still surrounded by that crunchy, rough shell. And like people think I'm a big soft. And I keep getting this idea in my mind, like maybe it's the rejection I faced not so long back. It's like, you know, no, you're a bit soft, I think. And it's like, nah, mm. like I'm not soft. I just know who I am. Mm. And I'm not afraid ever to be who I am because that's when I rot. If I'm not being the person I want to be, I rot. So I will always support myself. And Scotty says it to me all the time, bro, back yourself. Mm. Back yourself in every area. Mm. Be confident. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. There's a difference between meekness and um, like passive. It's like I want to be able to be assertive and soft. I mm. want to be able to be masculine and gentle. I want to be able to be, it's a virtuous, like it, there's a, there's a guy I watched recently. He said, I have not, you have no idea how much violence it took and self abuse to become this soft. Mm. You know what I mean? How mm. much violence I had to go through, not necessarily mm. like I was attacked and all this stuff. But I had to go through mental violence. It was horrible, traumatic, mm. horrible event for me to become this guy where I just want to love and be loved, where I want to give and talk and be like, the reason we talk so well is because we've gone through all that shit and we're just like, ain't it fun just telling you exactly who I am and you tell me exactly who you are. Mm. It's the first time in my whole life I've got friends where I can be like this. Yeah. And which is why we've, we started this. It's like, yeah, I think it's important that everyone knows that they can just be that person. They don't have to be afraid. Mm. And that that fear of being that person, and you know, it may come from loads of different things. Like for me, that fear was that little boy got hurt so mm. much by being soft. So okay, I'm going to create this guy who can't get hurt. Mm. I'll create him. Ends he, up in, inevitably fucking hurt loads anyway. Yeah, yeah, he ends up, but he pretends not to feel it though. Oh, That's yeah. the thing. So it's it's easier being that for the time being, but eventually it's not. You know, mm. eventually it starts hurting you and everybody around you and everybody you love, and you just it reinforces what the little boy believes so that he's not good enough, you know, and then that's just a, a place that ends only one way. But yeah, it's that having that belief in yourself, having that belief that you're going to be loved for your, for being yourself. It's a big leap of faith. And like you say, you've got to make sure you do it with the right person. Because yeah. if you do it with the wrong person, they go, fucking hell, man up. Yeah. Worst two words to be said to a man ever, man up. I fucking hate that. I've got a, I've got a different view on it. 
because I think, right, so the, the, the softer motion, yeah, where people tend to say man up, mm. right, is that's not the right time. But mm. when, when, when the man's ready to face it, because that's what we've had to do, face all of it, mm. that's when I manned up. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? When I went, do you know what? I'm going to own my shit and I'm going to deal with it. And if I'm not perfect every time, I'll be damn sure that I'm going to go away and amend it. Yeah. So I'd say man up to when somebody's being vulnerable is, is a horrible term, but I think you can take to yourself, oh yeah, I manned up about in, in this situation. I needed to man up. Yeah, you can. I think when you're lifting another man up, you know, there, there was a wonderful conversation with Albert Craig yesterday, you know, mm. and I was sat in his house with him and it was just like, you know, he wants to try something new with his life. He wants to do something different with his life. Mm. And I was just like, you are the nicest, the kindest, the funniest, the sweetest geezer I've ever met. One of, you know, one mm. of the nicest guys in our group. Yeah. We're all just nice guys, aren't we? Mm. And I'm like, well, if you just believed a little bit more that you're actually capable of doing the things that we all know you can, mm. and you, you, you leaned on us because what we do with our lives is we deal with, work and business and that's what we deal with so if you want to do something just speak to us mm. but you'll have to do the work mm. it's no outs you'll have to do the work do you know what he, he texted me this morning he was like mate I've done this I've done that I've done this and he'd done it all before work and he said I would not have done any of that if you didn't believe in me mm. and that's when I realised that I'm a power for good in my friendship circles I don't have to take from everyone all the time I want to give Mm. I want to give my support. I want to give my love. I want mm. to give my friendship. I want to give my attention. Mm. You know, I want to laugh until my fucking face is red. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because what other way is there to live? Yeah. No, I think um, we've got a good community around us now. How much time have we done, Stu? You're on one hour 42. Okay. <laughs> That feels like five minutes when we talk, doesn't it? Um, what other things have we not talked about? You've never been to rehab, have you? No. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go on. Um, do you, when when you've done like, say for example, you've both obviously been through your own getting over addiction. Yeah. When you're in this stage of your life, are you both in very different stages of your recovery? Or would you say you're in fairly similar places in the length of time that's been in? I think, I think for me, the, the, the length of time and the depth and clarity of recovery comes from your willingness to be involved in it and learn. So I've been in and out of recovery for nine years and I'll say I've not had a perfect journey. I've relapsed, I've relapsed, I've relapsed, I've relapsed. But sometimes when, you, when you're new in and you, let's say you get a year sober and then you relapse and you're out for a year, you're back to the start. Mm. Yeah. But if mm. you get a year and a half and you go out for two weeks, like, you know, you fucked up and then you get another year and a half. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're moving forward because then you officially in across a two and a half year period, you've done it for two weeks, mm. which is more less than you've ever done ever. Mm. So that can't be dismissed as like, no, only a year and a half. I believe in, in that. And for, for a long time, I get six months, I get six months, I get six months, I get two years. Like I got, I got to an extended period of time. And then, you know, when I started to do it, like for me, I don't particularly talk about my clean time in the way that I would like to talk about my clean time because I have done ayahuasca. I have experimented. 
Mm. You know what I mean? I've done different things. Yeah. I've tr- made mistakes. I've done things right and wrong. But the person I am today, my integrity isn't challenged by the amount of days that I've not taken intoxicating substance. Yeah. That's also not not necessarily, it is what I mean. But what I mean is, is there, uh, does the time that you have away from it coincide with the fact of, Say, for example, you guys went somewhere. I don't know whether you don't put yourself in situations where there's people there that are doing it. No, I'm scared. Mm. But if you was in situations, is there at this point of your sobriety any level of temptation? Or would it just be... Would you Would you feel like, for example, for both of you... I'll let you go I don't first. know if your, both your answers are different. Mm. This, I'll let you go first. But would you, if you were in that situation, is it a situation where you'd be like, oh, fuck, oh, my God, get me out of it, I've got to get out of it? Or would you be like, oh, okay, cool, you can deal with that and that's... For me, I don't think... I don't think there's any real situation that I would be... The only time I say this is if I was in, like... Peru, or where it's made. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. Where, where cocaine Peru, yeah. is made, you know. And if I was saw a fucking mountain of it, and I knew it was percent, that would be tempting. Yeah, because you, the, 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 could you imagine the smell off the fucking? I know. You, it's just so. Uh, that's the only scenario that I can think of that would challenge me, and I still don't think I would. I wasn't sure whether it, whether it's like an ongoing thing that you almost have to like... No. It's, it's a weird, yeah, it's a good it's question because really good. because basically in... So when you go into recovery, you meet lots of different addicts and I know people that are five years clean and they struggle still. They struggle with the sight of it or the smell of it or even speaking about it. They get triggered or they, they think about using mm. and that's five years in. Yeah. And I'm four years and I do not think about using ever. I never, it never bothers me whatsoever. I mean... Yeah, I mean the only the only real thing that stri- that that sometimes strikes me is if I'm on holiday and drinking, I miss I, I miss I wish I could drink while on holiday on holiday because it's almost like holidays zero consequences in it. Yeah. It's like right, I can get pissed and if I act a dick, it doesn't matter because I'm going fucking home. It doesn't matter who I piss off here. So, yeah. So that's the only time where but I and no, I did actually have one moment where I did nearly relapse in my four years, and I was uh, what was I over a year, year and a half nearly two years, I think. And I went on holiday with my brother mm. and it was only by my higher power, really by the universe looking after me that I didn't mm. because I'd made the decision to relapse. I I'd said, I'm, I'm going to have a drink mm. because I basically got uh, not these non-alcoholic mojitos and was at a beach party in Dubai and um, I got a non-alcoholic one and I was getting, everybody was getting really drunk and I was just like, can I have another one of these please? And it basically, and uh, it wasn't the same waiter that brought the the original non-alcoholic. So when I looked at him, I said, "Can I have one of these?" He saw a mojito, so I knew that guy was gonna go get me a mojito, not a non-alcoholic mojito. Shit! So he's gone away, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm almost gone." Oh fuck! I didn't tell him non-alcoholic, and then I was like, "He's walked, he's gone," and I've gone. Well, if he brings it, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Yeah. And I've told myself, if that drink comes and he gives it to me, my brother won't know because he's pissed and he's mm. stuff about it and he'll still think I'm drinking an alcoholic one. So I'm like, yeah, fuck it, I'm having it. So anyway, he goes and he don't come back. I'm like, fuck. I've made the decision now though. So mm. then I'll go to a different waiter. I still haven't found the original waiter. <laughs> the yeah. one that knew they were not alcoholics. I yeah. found another one. 
And I went to him, I was like, can I have one of these, please? And he was like, yeah. So he's gone off. I'm like, yeah, because well, I made the decision. I'm having it. I'm, yeah, having, I'm having a right. fucking yeah, non-alcoholic yeah. drink. He, he doesn't come back either. He does not come back with a fucking drink. And the third way, oh, I see, who is it? Him. The original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one who knew. He goes, oh, non-alcoholic. And I couldn't say no. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't, because then, then I've made the decision and I didn't want to, yeah, yeah. intentionally, I could have said I accidentally did it. Right. So then, so yeah, it's only by pure luck. So there, there is challenges, obviously, throughout different times. But now, you know, I've been to Dubai and I've been to that exact same beach party and I had zero thought about doing it. I did. Um, I did about It's the same... I'm just fucking getting right involved with your podcast. I love it. No, I love it. It's um, so so so. Why couldn't you? Or, or is it for you that you think alcohol will always lead? Hundred percent. There's no okay, for me. And that's, and that's why. That's not. That's you, why. you don't drink not because you don't like drinking or getting drunk anymore. You mm. don't because you know what it leads. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so it's different for me because alcohol stopped being my thing. You need to face the mic. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't like alcohol. So, and also like if me and I couldn't drive, I couldn't go anywhere. Like people would, like she could smell it. It was just like gear I could get away with. So I would just sniff. Yeah, you didn't have the, like the relationship with alcohol and, nope. and cocaine, did you? You nah. could sniff on its own. See, that's suicide to me. So that's I can a waste go, of drugs. Yeah, it's, no, it's horrible. <laughs> awful. Dry, dry, awful. awful. Level 10 paranoia. Straight away. The first. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, for me, like it's interesting you ask because... There's a lot of places I can go and I can be around it and I'm not phased by it. And people would ask me and I'm just not interested. It's disgusting. And, that, you know, there's been times in my life where you could say to me, you know, if I gave you a plate of the finest Colombian and I've locked you in a room and no one would ever know and you could guarantee no one had ever come in and there's fucking two vapes and 40 fags. <laughs> yeah. Go and like... Alcohol, if Look you want. Look me now, rubbing my hands. Yeah, going, oh. like, yeah. <laughs> go for it. I'll be like, no fucking way. <laughs> no way. Like, you, if you said to me, I'll give you a million quid and I want you to lock yourself in there and I want you to do that, I'll be like, no. Nah. No. Because for me, that there is an embodiment of my strength being led by that. And I'm never, I don't ever want to feel like I'm not in control of the person I am. And if it mm. is a tiny bit of like, I pull away from who I am, which is normal because of your trauma and stuff. You pull away from the, the, the person you want to be. I never, ever, ever would, would sacrifice my time, my life, just because I, I would know I did it. Yeah, even if you knew you could get away with it, mean? you're not I getting away with it because you're, you're personally, you know what's happening. So you can't, you're holding the lie. Yeah. I would be tempted. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, I don't know oh. if I would, but it would be, it'd be a challenge. It'd be a challenge. It is for my own dignity. I'd just be like, do you know what? I've done enough. Yeah. I'd be, and that's I a new I've thing. completed drugs. I've done it. <laughs> Ask me about it. I'll tell you all about it. But really, like I talk about it like I'm proud of my drug addiction. Mm. But I'm proud of actually getting out of it. That's fucking hard. It, it, and, but when you make that decision, it is not as hard as you think it is. It is like the hard thing is, is dealing with you and then your trauma and your yeah. family and your friends. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't that's think, the hard bit. Yeah, I don't think it's the drug bit stopping that's the hard bit. It's the bit where you... It's the smallest bit, isn't it? Yeah, that's the easier bit because you, like I said to you before, you get that feeling of real great pride and happiness and you start to get, you know, your life back and then everything's going well. But then what happens is at a certain period of time, you get the feelings, you get the shame, you get the guilt, you get the memories of all the shit that you fucked up. And then you also get the underlying 
insecurity and self-worth and hate self-hatred come through which you've blocked out for 20 years because you've mm. been smashing drugs for so long and then it's like all that hits you at once that's the bit that's hard mm. that's the bit that's hard to not go back to using because that pushes it back down where it fucking came from and then everybody's that's why if, if, everyone, if everyone wants to know why it's so hard that's the hard bit that's what I think personally is dealing with those emotions that you've never ever experienced in your whole life you've, you've you know it's not like in, in life if you didn't do that you have the opportunity to grow and deal with each scenario case by case which grows a tolerance mm. to pain and and to emotion and to feeling you know so you've gradually grown but no what you've done is you've missed out 20 years of that and then you suddenly get hit with all 20 years at once having never ever dealt with anything once mm. and then it's like explain that do you know what I mean? Explain how that is fucking dealt with. That's the bit that people think, you think, I'll oh, just stop. No, it's not. No. It really fucking isn't. The it it winds me up. Nothing to yeah, do it winds me up. And I had someone comment on one of my videos going, oh, you just got no willpower. I was like, I'm three years clean. So how have I not got willpower? And yet I was an addict. You're yeah. a fucking idiot. Shut up. <laughs> what are you talking about? So look, one thing that I'll, I'll say, and one thing that I think is important to be said mm. is that, you know, that we had that, that lady that spoke to us. Yeah, you know, when I was, was out the was other so, night. I was so, felt so bad for a blesser. Mm. But the one thing that you've, we, like, should be said is that people reach out to, to you or to us or they have done in the past and I've had it loads of times, right? Because people want to know what you've got that's helping them get sober, that helped you get sober. Mm. And actually all you've got is you. Yeah. Yeah, so all I can share is me, but I can't, I can, we can't, tell you how to get sober mm. this is your job yeah you have to get sober and like what we've done is you know the rooms of recovery yeah you know rehabs loads of shit there's loads of therapy like there is so much out there for you to go and do to get yourself sober but if no one can do it you have to be desperate man yeah. i will do anything this is the thing like, i think people who haven't it's a weird one because it does happen now and again. And you see someone who manages to stop using before it's become a huge, huge problem. And they, they know that they're an addict and, and, they, and they haven't suffered loads and they suddenly stop. But that's really rare. Fucking the man. majority of the time, it's people who have suffered so much. They've caused so much pain for themselves and people around them to the point where they either want to die or they have to stop. Mm. those are the two options you have to get down to and when you get there that's the only it's weird isn't it that that's where you have to go to to stop you know a lot of us, if I'll use my younger sister as an example she's still using now and you know and she's lost everything you know she's lost her she lost her child you know she, she's never really had a job I think I haven't heard from her now I think I don't know where she is she might be back in London with her boyfriend who uses her and so I don't know I've given her we've done everything to help her everything everyone has and it's like you know, when you see people and you think they've got the fight and with, with her, I just don't think she's got that fight. She's become so used to the pain. So used and it's so mm. sad and it's just like, I wish I, but there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that anybody else can do to help that person other than be there and love them. But again, even that's enabling them to a certain mm. degree if you if you carry on. You know, you've got to love them and but if they're not willing to do the work, you have to step back. Mm. And, let, and you let them suffer and that's the shit bit this is what parents really struggle to do is go I've done enough to help you I've done enough and you're not fucking trying Jesus. so now I'm going to let you go yeah. and go and fucking get clean yourself and when you're clean come back and I'll help you just but don't come a, fucking just back just giving them a room to use in 
Like, yeah, don't even it's stay not, here. That's not, no. that's not how you're going to help. Not. And it's so hard to say it. And look, what, what I find really interesting is, right, loads of people die from addiction. Loads of people die from drugs, yeah, mm. because drugs are illegal. Yeah, they think it's, you know, they've solved the problem. No, you, you've got alcohol and drugs as a legal substance out, out in the world for people to take an option out of their mm. shitty lives. Not yeah. that everyone's got shitty lives, but they're not happy. Mm. And it's easy and it's cultural and it's the thing that we do. Yeah. But as soon as more people start facing up to the fact that, do you know what? Life is a little bit better. It's a little bit easier when we start to face our own shit. Mm. And I go through way less drama than I've ever been through now. And I promise you now, if there is any drama, it's solved very quickly. The mm. conversation happens. It's dealt with respectfully, no arguing, no bullshit. Mm. I had it the other week, had a fucking row with someone and it was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why are we arguing? You can deal with things differently now, yeah. can't you? Yeah. But it's it's nice to be more and more of the, the person that you love and less and less of the person that you know that's always there, but you hate him. You know, and it's, it is, I know because I've had people treat me and do certain things that bring him out. And he can be a horrible little bastard. Yeah. When he's provoked, he'll come out. But for the most part, you know, if I don't put myself in those, mainly in that relationship I'm talking about, um, you know, he's he's not out. You know, I love I can, the way you owned that by then. If I don't put myself in that relationship, yeah, you didn't blame her. No. It's my choice. I should not be there. No, yeah, it's my well decision to put myself into into a in a relationship, which is why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. It's why, I, and so I know that relationships and love is an, is another addiction for mm. me. You know, so what, for the, this is the first time in the last four years, so for the last six, seven weeks, that I've not been acting out as an addict. First time, I've never stopped well, being no. an addict. It's the only time. So for prior to that, there has always been addictive behaviour in one way or another. Yeah, always, whether it be through my social media, through dating, through sex. Always been something for the last seven weeks is the first time there's none. I'm no longer an addict. I'm no longer behaving in any way, shape or form like an addict with anything. Do you know what? I was really proud of you the other day when you saw someone and you were like, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the first time I've seen you do it. Yeah. You were like, wow. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? Send a message. <laughs> and he was like, nah. And you, I'm so proud of you for taking a stand against yourself because, like, that's oh, like somebody who loves fucking ice cream and I've got the entire Baskin-Robbins <laughs> counter in front of your face with them little nice spoons that they give you to try yeah. all the flavours. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't you were easy, like, though. No, and I'm sorry I didn't support you in that. No, but the thing is, it's easy to get swept up in the banter because I'm also going, look, look. Yeah, and I'm like, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And he's, I'm, you know, I'm just taking you to behave the way you always behave. So <laughs> in, in with regards to, you know, looking at girls, because you're not in this, you're not doing the same thing I am. No, but, but I had to, yeah, I was, yeah, it was, that was, it was hard. But you know, I was so proud when I put it down and then in the morning I woke up and I was like, I'm a, and even to message you after and say, listen, I love you, but I'd really like it if you, if you helped me in another way mm. and like to set that boundary, you know, to be able to be, and I was a bit scared when I said, I was like, I hope that doesn't upset him. And then when you oh, messaged me back going, this is what I'm going to do for you. And I was like, that's exactly what I need. Mm. Thank you yeah, so much. And I love you and I appreciate no, you, yeah. you know? So it's, um, but yeah, it's, well, I just want to say this now, like I'm so proud of you, but I'm also so proud of Scotty. 
I'm so proud of both of you taking a stand in what you believe is the right way for each of for each each of your own things. Mm. And like he's happy, you're happy, and I'm happy. Mm. I'm you know like you know where I'm at with the whole thing. It's like I'm not seeking. Um, I'm I am open to discussion, and I'm, mm. and I'm I'm not like jumping on it or sending text. Like I'll just see what happens with whatever's going on, and it's like I'm not entertaining loads of people I'm not doing this that and the other so I'm just trying to figure myself out and like establish my feeling around that stuff you know yeah I mean? and you will you will sick I think we're there we're done I think we're done yeah good episode man that's yeah, sick, sick. Well done, well done.